We are Anthem Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. For all the info you need, visit anthemforall.org and follow at Anthem Church Chicago. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, uh, Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. So if you can turn in your Bibles to to that, that would be awesome. Philippians chapter 4 verse 13 says this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That verse is found on everything from wallpaper to coffee mugs. It's tattooed on body parts. And uh, it's even found on a, on a famous NBA sneaker written on his, on his sneaker. Steph Curry, in fact, has popularized that verse. Um, he, he, has, he has slogans. He has T-shirts. He has sports apparel with the phrase, I can do all things. And he's so popularized this particular half verse that at the end of I can do all things, there appears Steph Curry as if he came up with that particular phrase. In fact, it's Philippians 4 verse 13, but that probably wouldn't sell as many t-shirts as having his name there. And I've got nothing against Steph Curry for those who are big fans of Steph Curry. Uh, If you add verse 19 from Philippians chapter 4, which says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus, and we don't forget Philippians 4.4, which says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. I, I would suggest that of those three verses, those three are probably some of the kind of most popular, perhaps the top 10 verses that are found on post-it notes on people's walls, that are found on fridge magnets and bumper stickers all over our nation. Uh, um, I'm sure someone somewhere said something like, you know, write those three verses down, put them on your bathroom mirror. Repeat verse 19 and verse 13 once a day. Make sure you include verse 4 once every week, and you'll see how your life is absolutely transformed. And as, as well-meaning as advice like that is, I think the danger is when we take verses like this and pluck them out of their context and, and remove them from relationship with Jesus, it actually nullifies the power and the promise that comes with those particular verses. And what I'm wanting for us to do today is to actually take those two verses, especially verse 13 and verse 19, and insert them back into the text to look at where they are found in the context of God's word. And as we do that, to then trust for the Holy Spirit to release the transformative power, the confidence and the contentment that these verses actually promise. Well, this is our final Sunday in our series through the book of Philippians. If you've been with us for any length of time over the, over the past few weeks, you know that we are tracking our way through the book of Philippians. Uh, and this, this series has been built around what, what most commentators agree, what, what we certainly hold to, is Paul's pivotal verse, which is found in chapter 3, verse 12, when he says, I press on to, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And we've argued week in, week in and week out, and I'm going to say it again, that the thing that Christ took hold of us for, the thing that we need to take hold of, is not a task or a function or a calling or something that we do for God. Jesus didn't take hold of us for that. Jesus took hold of us for relationship. And the exhortation from Paul is we need, in turn, to take hold of that relationship for which Christ Jesus took hold of us for. That's the essence of what Paul is writing. And, and, and this, this pressing on, this, this relationship is experienced deeper as we do what we are called to do, walk in the ways of Jesus. We've 
described what walking in the ways of Jesus looks like. It, it, it must look like something. There are, there are disciplines or there are, there are attributes to this relationship with God that Paul has revealed to us through this particular letter. We've learned about the fact that walking like Jesus looks like partnership. We partner with God. We partner with each other to bring about the reality, the, the greater experience of the kingdom of God in our lives and in the lives around us. Walking like Jesus, we've learned, looks like hardship. It looks like lordship, submitting and surrendering ourselves to the lordship of Jesus. It looks like friendship. It looks like worship. It looks like citizenship. Last week, we learned that walking in the ways of Jesus looks like leadership. We, we lead ourselves well when we remind ourselves of the eternal, unchanging truths of, of who, who, where I am and who I belong to. And in the face of, of, of always changing circumstances, we are able to stand firm. This week, we're going to look at this final kind of aspect of relationship with Jesus, and it's the aspect called stewardship. What does it look like? What does it mean to, to learn to be faithful with all that God has entrusted to me for the sake of His glory and the blessing and benefit of others? That's essentially what we're going to look at. How do we be faithful with all that God has entrusted to me for the sake of God's glory and the blessing and benefit of others? Before we get there, and I'm trying to do two things today. I'm trying to preach the text that we're looking at as well as wrap up the series. So forgive me if I keep referring back to things that we've shared. But before we jump into the text this morning, I want to just stress the importance of those, those eight attributes that we have studied a partnership, hardship, lordship, friendship, worship, citizenship, leadership, and today's stewardship. I think it's important for us to, 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 to know, to remember that, that those attributes or those disciplines are not a goal or an end as, you know, unto themselves. We don't desire friendship for the sake of friendship alone. They are, they are not an end. They are a means to an end. And the end, the goal, the point is Jesus Christ. I used this illustration a few weeks ago. Some of you have heard me say it many times, but I, and I'll give you the, the summarized version, but when Cade was five or six, I, I took him to the science museum, the, the science and industry museum, and, and he rushed into the lobby, and, and he thought the lobby was the end. He thought that was the museum. And after 30 minutes, he was ready to go home, and I had to help him understand that was a means to the end, which is to get into the museum to enjoy all that was available. And I want us to remember that as we desire and, and trust for friendship and the submission to the, to the Lord's leadership and, and as we grow in our worship, those are not the end. The end is Christ. Paul says over and over again that his desire is to take hold of Jesus. He wants to gain Christ. He wants to be found in him. He wants to know Christ and to become like him. And I hope, I trust that, that as we've, as we've um, looked through this particular book, that that's been stirring in your hearts, a desire to, to know Jesus more, to grow in your relationship with him. One of the reasons that Paul writes this letter to the church in Philippi was to thank them for their partnership with him in his apostolic ministry. Paul writes in, in, in chapter one, he says, I, I thank God because of your partnership in the gospel. 
This idea of partnership is not just this kind of cozy friendship, this cozy relationship. Partnership, biblical partnership, emphasizes both the relational aspect and the task of advancing the kingdom of God. And I want to remind us here today that as we are in partnership together as a local church, we are here to enjoy fellowship and to, and to connect with one another and get to know one another at the same time as linking arms for the purpose of advancing God's kingdom in Chicago and beyond. And we can't overemphasize one above the other. So Paul says, I thank my God because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This church was, was committed, was consistently committed to Paul through the ups and downs of, of Paul's ministry. And if you read the book of Acts, you'll see that there were, in Paul's ministry, there were probably more downs than there were ups. There was times of incredible feasting, but long times of, of famine, as it were. And this church was committed to partnering with Paul through thick and thin. And this partnership was reflected in, in the thing that Paul is thanking them for, their financial contribution, their, their financial stewardship, their financial generosity to Paul's ministry, despite the fact that they didn't have very much to give. Paul actually boasts about this church when he writes to the church in Corinth. Let me just read these few verses for you. I don't think it's on the screen behind me. But, but in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth to stir them up for the, for the privilege of giving financially. And he uses the church in, in Macedonia, the church in, in Philippi, as an example. Listen to what he says. Beloved ones, we must tell you about the grace God poured out upon the churches of Macedonia. We're going to learn about that today, but stewardship of resources is by grace. And the, the very fact that we have resources to steward is by God's grace. For even during a season of severe difficulty and tremendous suffering, they became even more filled with joy. From the depths of their extreme poverty, superabundant joy overflowed into an act of extravagant generosity. For I can verify that they gave not only according to their means, but far beyond what they could afford. They actually begged us for the privilege of sharing in this ministry of giving to God's holy people who are living in poverty. We mustn't make the mistake of thinking or assuming that, that stewardship, being faithful with what God has given us for the sake of His glory and the blessing and benefit of others, we must, mustn't make the mistake of thinking that stewardship only applies to money and is only possible when we have some leftover to spare. I want to argue today, I want to present to us today that, that stewardship is learning to be faithful with everything that God has entrusted to us. Time. Money, resources, gifts, influence, relationships, and even when we don't have any of that in great abundance. And that was the example of this church in Philippi. This church was, 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 was struggling through extreme financial, financial hardship, yet they found the grace of God to give in the midst of their struggle and hardship. And the fruit is the fact that we are 2,000 years later reading Paul's thank you letter to them and learning from their incredible example. Sometimes we can approach this idea of stewardship and we can think, well, if only I had more money or more time or, or better gifts, then I could serve the Lord faithfully in the things he's, he's, he's entrusted to me. 
And Jesus actually challenges that thinking in Luke chapter 16. Jesus says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be entrusted with much. And so there there really is no escaping the reality that Jesus wants us, the Bible teaches us the importance of stewarding everything that he has entrusted to us. Before we get to the text, how do we How are we faithful with what God has given us? I'm gonna give you four quick little things, super short matrix, four things for us to do. Firstly, do an audit of what you have. Do an audit of what you have. Ask yourself the question, how has God blessed me? What has God given me? What has God placed in my hand? What are the resources that he's given me that that he is wanting me to steward? Do an audit. Secondly, thank him for what he's given you and then ask him for wisdom on how to steward those things. It's important for us to to thank God for what he's entrusted to us. We're gonna get to that in a few moments. An attitude of gratitude keeps the heavens open over us, a friend of mine used to say. So we thank God for what he's given us, but then we need to ask God for wisdom on how to steward or how how to faithfully take care of those things that he's entrusted to us. Thirdly, I wanna say we need to act on it. Do an audit, ask God for wisdom, and then act on it. Make sure that we are being generous with the things that God has given us. There is a supernatural supply from heaven that is available to us when we keep the life flowing on our end. And again, we're gonna learn about this in a few moments, but when God covenants with us, he doesn't choose us because we have resources that God can use. God doesn't look at Mark Gazzo, for example, and say, oh my goodness, Mark plays a mean guitar. I think I could use that. No, the the, the source and the supply is heaven and what God is looking for is, is faithfulness with the little that we have. And that ensures the supernatural flow of God's supply and God's presence. And then lastly, I would say, don't assume that how God has blessed you or what God has blessed you with is for your benefit and your benefit alone. God wants us to enjoy the things he's given us but he wants us to steward those for his glory and also for the blessing and benefit of those around us. Do an audit, ask how, act on it, don't assume it's for you. Simple. All right, so with that as a rather lengthy introduction, let's jump into the text. And we're gonna look at four characteristics of a faithful steward. Now, I've just given you four things that start with the letter A. I'm now gonna give you four things that start with the letter C. And so it has to be correct because we're doing alliterations again today. So four, four characteristics of a faithful steward. Someone who is faithful to, to care for the things God has entrusted to us. Remember, for his glory and the blessing and benefit of others. And we're gonna jump into the text to have a look at this. But let me give you the four words real quickly. Faithful stewards are concerned. Faithful stewards are content. Faithful stewards are consistent. And faithful stewards are confident. The context of this, that's another C, but that's not, that doesn't apply to the list. <laughs> As I said it, I was like, no, don't use the word C, but I don't know what else to use. The context of this particular passage is, is this church being faithful with finance. But I wanna remind us this morning, this is not a teaching on finance. This is a teaching on stewarding the, re- the resources God has given us. A faithful steward is concerned. Look at verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. 
And the point I think Paul is making is it's, it's quite simple. You'll, you'll never use the resources that you have for things that you aren't concerned about or you aren't concerned for. We've seen it time and time again throughout the streets of Chicago when, when, when faithful men and women who are passionate about a particular cause will stand on a busy street corner with a clipboard in their hand asking you to give them two minutes for, for this or for that. Do you have two minutes to share for Greenpeace, you know, as an example, to which I generally awkwardly answer, no, no thank you, because I feel, I feel obliged to kind of give them two minutes of my time even though, and, and maybe I should... I, for those who are passionate about the environment, I'm passionate about the environment. Just, just so that you know, super passionate about the environment. I'm digging myself a big hole here. I really am. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is people do things. People give up their time. People give up the, the, you know, the, the actual reality of the awkwardness of, of so many rejections. Why? Because they are concerned about something. Sometimes, uh, the other day I was thinking, what is a good response to someone who asks me if I've got two minutes for this or that? And I thought, of my, I thought to myself, maybe I should say, well, two minutes for Greenpeace, to which I'll say, sure, if you would give me two minutes for Jesus. Um, but, but then I thought they would think that I'm trying to shut them up, which is not the case. I'm, the, the, the point would be, if you're telling me what you're passionate about, what you're concerned for, then let me tell you what I'm concerned for or passionate about. I love how Paul refers to concern. Look, look at the verse, verse 10. He says, your concern for me was revived or your concern for me was renewed. Perhaps some of you here are overloaded with concern because you see every opportunity or every kingdom opportunity as an obligation. Perhaps some of you here are indifferent or hardened to concern and in doing so, you're actually missing out on kingdom opportunities that God wants to bring across your path. There are, there are many good and necessary kingdom opportunities that as a church, we need to be participating in. I've written down just a few. Serving the poor, feeding the hungry, welcoming refugees, praying for the sick, comforting the dying, fighting sex trafficking, fostering abandoned children, Traveling to the nations, church planting. I mean, that's just a few of the kingdom opportunities that are available to us. But sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that those are every single one of those are things that I need to be participating in. These are kingdom opportunities, not obligations. If I can use the word obligation loosely for a moment, there is only one obligation that we have that Jesus makes very clear in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God, with all your heart and soul and strength. And uh, this is the first and greatest commandment, or again, loose use of the word obligation. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So everything else in addition to, to this, everything else in addition to loving God and loving people are not obligations, but opportunities for us to partner with God. And so things like feeding the poor and, or sorry, feeding the hungry and serving the poor and welcoming refugees and so on are things that we should all care deeply about and desire to see manifest in the church. But they are not all opportunities that I need to say yes to because very quickly they become obligations. So how do I revive my kingdom concern? I wanna ask, ask you two questions. Have I turned kingdom opportunity? Ask yourself this. Have I turned kingdom opportunity into obligation? 
And in doing so, I've hardened my heart to what is most important, and that is loving God and loving his people. And the second question I would suggest we ask is, does God need to revive my concern for him and for his people so that my stewardship of what I have can reflect that? Does my, I'll say it again, does God need to revive my concern for him and for his people so that the stewardship of what I have can reflect that? A faithful steward is concerned. Secondly, a faithful steward is content. Look at verse 11. I'm not saying this, Paul says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this. I can do everything. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And the key phrase there is, for me is found in verse 12 where he says, Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. That word secret, if you study that word, it's actually a word that Paul borrows from local pagan religions, kind of like the secret societies or the secret sects of the day. It's, if you cast your mind back, if you, if you can remember that far for some, some of us, cast your mind back to when you were third or fourth grade and, and, and the group of friends in your class, they, they, they had a secret and you, and you wanted to know what that secret was or, or, or that kind of secret club that was forming in your group, in, in your class and you weren't part of it and you were like, I wanna get in, I, I wanna know the secret, I wanna, I wanna be part of this. And it's essentially what Paul is saying. We, we ask ourselves that question. What is the secret to peace? What is the secret to rest? What is the secret to contentment? And Paul is saying, I know. I've learned what the secret to rest and peace and contentment is. And if you're anything like me, you probably assume the secret is a change of circumstances. Like that's the secret, you know, the circumstances around me needs to change. If only I insert whatever you believe needs to happen in your life for, for contentment to be found, if only I had more money, you know, if only my children were older, if, if only I lived in the burbs, you know, if, if whatever it is, if only I could land the job, if only I could live out my dreams or, or do the job that I'm most passionate about, then I would be content. We went to Disneyland a couple years ago, and I mean, it's a beautiful place. It's a wonderful place. But they brainwash you with this music that just goes on and on and on. And one of the songs, listen to this. I mean, if you love Disney, sorry, I don't want to offend. I know you might be concerned for the things of Disney, but let me, <laughs> there's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every day. There's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow, and tomorrow is just a dream away. I mean, what is that, you know? <laughs> we dream of contentment. We dream of, of, and it's just one change of circumstance away. And I wanna say that's not what Paul is arguing for. Paul is saying contentment is found in something that is completely a, a, a different or a, a absent from a change in circumstances. He's saying it is possible for us to thrive in the stresses and the sameness of everyday life. For us to actually live supernaturally in the reality of everyday life that we find, that, that, we, that we live in. 
I mean, here he is chained to a, to a Roman God with a death sentence over his head. And he writes, I have learned the secret of being, in, being content in any and every situation, well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or want. I can do all of this. I can face the ups and downs of life. I can face the challenges of life. He has the key. He has the secret. Through him who gives me strength. The point that Paul is making is the secret for contentment is not found in a set of circumstances that are going to change. The secret to contentment is found in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. I mean, he said the same thing in verse 4. We learned it last week. Rejoice, how? In the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the one who never changes. Rejoice in the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Rejoice in the Lord always, despite the circumstances changing yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We rejoice in the one who never changes yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We rejoice in Him. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. And so as we learn as, as followers of Jesus what it means to be in Jesus, we then begin to learn the secret of contentment. So with all due respect to Steph Curry, he's completely missed the point when he says, I can do all things. He's missed the point of the verse. It's not I can do all things. It's I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What does this have to do with stewardship? I think there can be, there's a gap often. There's a gap probably always between what we have and what we think we deserve. And we can fill that gap with two things. The gap between what we have and, between, and, and, and what, we, what we think we deserve. And we can fill that gap with contentment and gratitude, which means that we are generally generous with what we have. Or we can fill the gap between what we have and what we think we deserve with comparison and grumbling, which means we hold on to that which we have. And it can be with finances or anything. Let me give you a quick example. Imagine this was what we have. Sometimes if, our, if we allow what we think we deserve to be higher than what we have, that gap can be filled with comparison. We start to look at others and we compare ourselves and we begin to grumble at what we don't have, what we think we deserve, and we only have this. And so what happens is we start to clasp and hold on to that which we have. And we put our fingerprints, which are kind of representative of our identity and, our, and the ownership, we put our fingerprints over something which really isn't ours to give or to hold on to. But if we change that and if what we have is higher than what we think we deserve. And the only reason I have what I have is higher than what I think I deserve is because what I have is by the grace of God and the grace of God alone. When I realize that what I have is greater than what I think I deserve, then that gap is filled with contentment and my hand is held open to the things that God has given me. And I'm able to steward and bless others with those things. A faithful steward is concerned. A faithful steward is content. Thirdly, a faithful steward is consistent. Look at verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share. There's that word share or partnership in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. 
For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desired the gifts. What I desired is that you would be, what, what I desired is that more would be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to the Lord. And if we had time, I'd kind of individually show you there are at least four references to this church giving to Paul. When he left Macedonia, when he was in Thessalonica, it says they gave, they gave him financially at more than once, so at least twice. And then thirdly, when Epaphroditus went, he went with a gift from the Philippians. They were committed. They were consistent in their giving. And, and if, we, if we're honest, this idea of consistency makes us a little bit, we, we, you know, as charismatic, spirit-filled Christians, we tend to back off from anything that looks like routine or, or looks like something that's a bit regular, which is what consistency is. We assume that consistency means it's, it's not going to release life, but that's not the case. I mean, what, 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 what this shows us, what the Bible shows us time and time again through, through, consistent, through consistency and through commitment, we develop life-giving or life-producing habits. And perhaps most importantly, we learn to give not just when we are feeling it, but we learn to give by faith in obedience to God's word. I mean, with all due respect, imagine if I only worked out when I felt like it. And I'm, and I'm not gonna say that to any of you. Let's just use me for an example. It would be a hot mess up here. It really would. But we know, we know the importance of working out. We know the importance of, of eating well. And that develops life-giving uh, uh, habits. And the same is true spiritually. We need to understand the importance of consistency. A faithful steward is concerned. A faithful steward is content. A faithful steward is consistent. Lastly, a faithful steward is confident. Look at verse uh, uh, 19 and 20. Their, their gifts were a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And there again, Paul is giving us context for this verse 19. The context of God meeting all our needs faithful stewardship and generosity. And Paul doesn't say, I hope God will meet all your needs. And Paul doesn't say, God might meet all your needs. No, he says, my God will meet all your needs according to, according to the riches of his glory. Where? In Christ Jesus. Again and again and again, Paul is driving home this point of us being rooted and established in Christ Jesus. In verse, in, uh, uh, in verse seven, Paul speaks about the release of the peace of God in Christ Jesus. A few verses earlier, we learned about the power of God released in Christ Jesus. And now he's speaking about the provision of God. If, you, if, if what you are leaning into, if what you are drawing from has an abundance you know that you are gonna be generous with everything that you have. But if, you are, if what you are leaning into or what you are drawing from, if you know that has a certain finite amount, you are gonna be a little more stingy with what you have. Here's an example. My, the very first time I took Debs on a date, we weren't, we weren't an item yet, but I was, I was pursuing her and, uh, and I decided to take her to, to what was the equivalent, South African equivalent of a Chili's. So... 
you know, most, most items on the menu between eight and $12. 95% of the items on the menu between eight and $12. Maybe one or two items around about the $25 mark. I was a student and I went with limited resources. And I assumed my wife would know that the appropriate range to order from would be in the eight to $12 range, kind of where most of the menu was kind of priced at. But my wife being my wife, she went for the most expensive item on the menu. And I literally nearly choked on my water and I ordered water because soda would have cost me a little bit more. Um, When the server came and took her order, because my resources were limited, I had to change on the fly and not to say to Deb, she can't have that. I think I ordered the salad bar and made the excuse that I wasn't feeling very hungry. But the point is my, my, my resources were limited, so I had to kind of nickel and dime what I was able to spend. But if we know that our resources are unlimited, we are lavish and extravagant, aren't we? If you, if you, are, if you, are a, if you go to Starbucks, you, you know that you can, you know, if, you, if you're buying yourself a Starbucks, most of the time you're buying yourself a, probably a tall, dark, dark roast because it's nice and cheap, two bucks. But then eventually after six months, you get the free coffee and you can order anything on the menu. The, the resources are unlimited. You don't go and order a kind of a tall, dark, dark roast. You order a, I don't know, venti quadruple shot latte with extra whip and chocolate sprinkles on top or something like that because your resources are unlimited. And I want to say, friends, it's the same with God. God doesn't have mingy resources that he's trying to apportion out. Oh my goodness, Amanda needs $20 and, I've, and, and, and so does Peck and I've, and I've only got 40 of, you know, 30 available and I don't know what to do. Or, or God's not looking at us and saying, you know, I've got a limited amount of peace and grace to give and a, and a limited amount of my presence. So let me just pour out a little trickle of my peace, grace and presence upon Taylor because otherwise I'm not gonna be able to give some to Charles. No, God's got endless resources and he pours out lavishly upon Taylor and has just as much available to pour out upon Charles. And so we can make that draw from God, from the resources of heaven and be lavish with what God has given us because the promise is he will meet all of our needs. We can be confident in our giving. A faithful steward is concerned, content, consistent and confident. Let's bring it into land. Verse 21. Paul ends this incredible letter in the same way he starts. Greet all God's people in Christ. The brothers and sisters who are with, with me send greetings. All of God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. And look at verse 23. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. If you if you got a Bible with you, you can turn to Philippians chapter one. I think it's verse three, and he says, "Grace and peace be with you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ." The letter starts with grace, and the letter ends with grace, and everything in between is by the grace of God. I said this earlier, but friends, everything that you have in your hands to steward and to care for is being given to you by the grace of God. And what enables you to steward and care for that which you have is empowered by the grace of God. The letter starts by the grace of God. Any journey walking in the ways of Jesus starts by God's grace, is empowered by God's grace, and will come to completion by God's grace. 
God's grace is new every morning and the greatest gift of all is the gift of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, given to us by grace. Not by anything we've done or anything that we, 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 we work to, 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 to deserve the blessing of Jesus, but we come completely empty-handed and by the grace of God, we receive Him into our hearts by faith to be Lord and Savior of our lives. Do you remember how we started? Philippians 4 verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. By grace and in Jesus, we are given the peace of God. Philippians 4 verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. By grace and in Jesus, we have the power of God. And then verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to, his, according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. By grace and in Jesus, we have the provision of God. I'm gonna ask if you can close your eyes for a moment and just give us an opportunity to respond this morning to the beautiful reality. For those of us who are in Jesus, we have access to the abundance of God by grace. Access to the peace of God by grace. Father, I pray for any who are, who, are, who, are being, who are filled with anxiety or being tormented by, by lies and deceit from the devil. Aiden picked up on it this morning, Lord. But we wanna pray, Father God, for a release of your peace. Your peace, Lord God, over your people. Peace over the, uh, the, and, and a silence to those lies that are bombarding some of, the, some of your people here today, Lord God. I pray, Father, for a release of your peace and rest. Thank you that you don't give us peace and rest in small measures, but you pour out lavishly your rest and peace upon us. I pray for those, Lord God, who are just feeling overwhelmed and tormented and, 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 and just perhaps beaten up by the devil, Lord God. Your promise is that you strengthen us. Your promise is that you strengthen us, Lord God. You, you strengthen us because we are in you. And so, Father, I pray for a release of supernatural strength upon your sons and daughters, Lord God. Those who are just feeling beaten up, those who are feeling exhausted, those who are feeling tired, Lord, we just ask for a, a release of supernatural strength, Lord God. Supernatural strength, Lord God, in Jesus' name. I pray for healing as well, Lord God. Supernatural healing to be released upon, upon sick bodies, broken bodies. Healing emotionally, Lord God, on those who are, who, who are just feeling like they need your strength, Lord God. Thank you that strength is found in you and in you alone. And Lord, lastly, I wanna pray for those who are trusting for your provision, Lord God. Those who, who look at their hands and, and, and perhaps think that what they deserve is more than what they have. But Lord God, I pray that in your economy, you would help us understand that what we deserve is, is nothing and what we have is everything that we have is by grace. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, to, to just open our fists, open our hands and allow you, Lord God, to use everything that we have, even if we have it in small amounts. Lord God, may we be a people that are faithful stewards. Faithful stewards. Come, Lord Jesus.
come, Lord God, pour out your presence upon us this morning, Lord. As we bring this series into land, Lord God, we, we, we want to echo Paul's heart. We want to echo Paul's desire. And that is, Lord, we want to know you, Jesus, deeper, more intimately, more completely, more fully, Lord God. We want to know the realities of what it means to be in you, Jesus. I pray that we would never grow, grow comfortable or tired or familiar with the gospel, the, 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 the truth that you have rescued us from certain destruction and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that you love. And we have this, incredibly, uh, this incredible spacious place for us to explore in your Son. Jesus, thank you for the privilege of knowing you, of being rooted in you. I pray, Lord, if, if there is one thing we do as a church, let it be that we press on to take hold of what you have taken hold of us for. Lord, if there's one thing we do, let it be that would hold on to, pursue, press in deeper into the relationship that we have with you, King Jesus. Thanks again for listening. To stay up to date, follow at Anthem Church Chicago and visit us anthemforall.org. Anthem Church, all of Jesus for everyone.